I bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one in the wilderness of this life and world. Crying, make straight the crooked paths, prepare ye the way of the Lord, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Newly born babies, that is before their eyes can even see, manifest what seemed to be an uncanny sense of being able to identify their parents just by hearing the voice. You would notice that the child gets excited when he hears the voice of the mother, of course, which is familiar with having been in the womb for nine months and having heard that voice over and over again for nine months. And of course, where the, the father is, a father who is around, he is also intimate with that voice. By reason of that proximity of the father with the mother and the baby in the womb. And so the child is excited, even though his eyes are not yet open, when he hears the voice of the mother or of the father. But that child will freeze when he hears and becomes antsy, when he hears the voice of someone that he is not unable to identify. So for some reason, even before the eyes of a child is open, the child is able to identify the voice of the mother, the voice of the father, and sometimes the voice of his siblings because of the proximity of those uh, individuals to the child when the child wasn't in the mother's womb. Now for a Christian, the Bible says this, and I'm going to read John chapter 10, verse 1 to 15. John chapter 10, verse 1 to 15. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. I, I want to make a special note here of, the, of verses 4 and 5 that tells us why the sheep will follow the shepherd. The sheep will follow the shepherd because they know the voice of the shepherd. In other words, they are intimate with the voice of the shepherd. They've been intimate with the shepherd and so because of that intimacy and closeness of proximity, they know his voice. But when it comes to a stranger, they will not follow him. In fact, the Bible says they will flee from him. Why? Because they are not intimate with that voice. They are not aware of that voice. They don't know that voice. Thus, by looking at who a person who says he or she is a Christian is following, we can infer who he or she is listening to. Today, we want to uh, address the subject of whose voice have you been listening to under the global theme of hearing from God. We want to help us to be able to begin to be discriminating as to the voices we are hearing. There are several voices on all that, that, that people are open to these days. The voice of men and so on and so forth. There are so many things, especially those of you who who uh, troll the social media. We hear so many things, and you have the stamp of saying, thus, people saying, thus says the Lord, 
God said I should tell you this and so on and so forth. And sadly, some people are, you know, gullible enough to follow just every voice. Now, I need to say at this point in time that there are essentially three voices that will speak to any Christian. Now, these three voices are the voice of us, that they are Satan, self, and the Son of God. I'm using the S uh, letter to make it easy for us to understand. Satan, self, and the Son of God. Now, Satan, of course, and his agents, self, that is yourself, and the Son of God and his agents. Now, it is one thing to be spoken to. It is another thing to take heed to the voice or to the one speaking to you. It's one thing to hear somebody say something to you. It's a completely different thing to take it seriously. It's one thing to be given an instruction. It's a completely different thing to carry out that instruction. From what we looked at last week as we introduced the subject of hearing uh, from God, we noted that when we talk of hearing, it's a totality of four things. One, the actual words being spoken. Secondly, a correct interpretation of what is being spoken to us. Uh, thirdly, having a good understanding of what's being spoken to us. And fourthly, being able to obey, do what we have been asked to do. So it's one thing to hear a particular voice. It's a completely different thing to actually engage with that voice and carry things and, and carry out the instruction that that voice is speaking to you. Now, I, I, we don't want to make this uh, too lengthy a discussion because I want to use it as, as an introduction of sort to the, 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 the theme or the sub-theme of whose voice have you been listening to. Now, when a person heeds Satan's voice, which invariably means he is following Satan, he or she will discover that he is deceived, beguiled, led away from God, and would manifest fear instead of faith. This is critical because the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 17, Romans chapter 10 verse 17, it says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the voice or by the word of God. So when we hear the word of God, we have faith. Faith is exhibited by reason of the, of the word of God in the heart, to the heart of the believer. Un, un, unfortunately, fear is manifested also when we hear a voice, but that which is not of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, or what is also uh, 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 interpreted to mean timidity, but one of power, of boldness, of love, and of a sound mind. Now, he says, God has not given us that spirit of timidity, that spirit of fear. So fear does not come from God at all. And so when God speaks to us, even when he's chastising us, it brings faith onto our hearts. It does not bring fear. It does not bring timidity. And we, we, we're going to look at two classical examples of Satan speaking to man. And these classical examples are so classical. Because they speak, the first one is about Satan speaking to the first Adam. And the second one is about, about Satan speaking to the second Adam. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 13. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 
through to verse 13, we read what we popularly know as the temptation of man, which led to the fall of man. From verse 1, I read, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, I, I, I want to pause here because there are some very critical things that we need to observe here. One, when Satan is speaking, he, he, can, he can quote, or rather misquote the word of God. And when he seems to quote it correctly, Basically, he takes that quotation out of context. So we find here Satan luring Eve by misquoting what God had said, or rather suggesting what God had said in the contrary, in the negative. He said, yeah, hath God said he shall not eat of every tree of the garden? That is not what God said. God said that they may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of one particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of or the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they shall not eat of that tree. That is what God said. But now he brings us to say, as though God said, don't eat of any of the tree or any of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Now, Eve, on the other hand, when she was responding, also made a big blunder because she did not she had not uh, made herself abreast with what God had said. She was not familiar as it were with the word of God. In verse 3 it says, and the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. So far so good. In verse 3 she says, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God had said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Now, I'm, I'm going to, <laughs> I, want to, I, want to, I want to take us back to Genesis, to Genesis chapter 2, where God gave that instruction. And we shall see that God did not make any mistake. So, let me read Genesis chapter 2. I'll, I'll read some verses um, through and through. Uh, some verses, skip a few, so that we can get the gist. Now, I'm going to read from verse 8. It says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant. Please note this thing about the trees, because we are going to, discuss, we are going to see it as we go on. Every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Two trees were in the midst of the garden. So when Eve mentioned in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 3, says, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. She was misquoting the scriptures. She was misquoting what God was saying. But let's continue to read. Now, verse 9 makes it absolutely clear that there were two trees in the midst, that is in the middle of the garden, in the center of the garden. Two trees. One was the tree of life, a tree that was capable of giving life, eternal life to whosoever would eat of it. And the second tree, the tree of knowledge of good 
and evil. One that would give one the people the knowledge of good and evil. Sadly, this tree, even though it gave the knowledge of good and evil, it was unable to give one the ability to do good and shun evil. That was the sad part of this. Now, let's um, skip and go on to verse 15. And it says, of, of Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Please note that. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But, when you read but, you know that there is a negative coming contrary to what had been said earlier. So, every tree would suggest every single tree. However, there is a caveat. That but is put in a caveat. And it says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God was emphatic about the punishment or the judgment that we visited upon them the day they went contrary to his word. Yet when Eve was speaking of this in Genesis chapter 3 verse 3, she made light of the thou shalt surely die. This is what she said. Ye shall not eat of it. He said, let me read verse 3 again of Genesis chapter 3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. God didn't say don't touch it. God did not say anything about that. Lest ye die. As though dying is something else. As though it's just a, you know, something that is trivial. It, 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 she trivialized what God considered crucial. So note that. Now in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Why? He says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, because Eve was not particular about the tree, Satan was not directing her to the particular tree that he wanted. Brethren, you and I must be particular about the word of God. We, we cannot be throwing, throwing blank checks where God has not thrown a blank check. Where God is specific, we must be specific. When you hear a voice, that is trying to rabble rouse or trying to muddy the water so that the, what God has specified is being made as though it is not specific. We are not to follow such a voice. We are not to give heed to such a voice. Otherwise, we will run into trouble and we will end up being beguiled, being misled, and then we will begin to live a life of fear. Anyway, let's continue to read. Now, Satan is here now guiding Eve to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When he says that you should now know good and evil. He has already taken her mind away from this conversation from the tree of life. A tree that would have made man to live forever, eternally with God in their hearts. Now he's beguiling Eve to a tree that God had hitherto said they shall not eat. Now in verse 6, Eve, having heard of this, now makes up her mind on what to do. And look at the process by which she arrived at her decision. In verse 6 says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, 
and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. Again, I told you to note something in verse 9, and I'm going to read it verse 9 again, Genesis chapter 2 verse 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is one pleasant to the sight. Every tree, all of those trees were pleasant to the sight. It was not, that was not the basis. And good for food. They were good for food. However, God specifically noted that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil should not be eaten, even though it was pleasant, even though it was good for food. What God said is, it should not be eaten. Eve, however, picks those two because she says in her analysis, she says, the Bible says, and when the woman saw that the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good for food, God has said all the trees were good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes. God has said it was pleasant to the sight. Now she adds a third one to justify her eating it and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Where did she get, she get that from? From Satan. Satan said the day you eat of this thing, you will be able to, you shall be as gods. You will know good and evil. So she now picks what Satan has said in addition to what God had said and jettisons the caviar that God had put on that tree and took of the fruit of that tree and ate it. And then gave to her husband and he ate it. In verse 7 the Bible says, And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, the Bible says in verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. The tree of knowledge of good and evil suddenly made them to realize between good and evil that it was wrong for them to be naked. Before then, before eating it, it didn't mean anything. Just like children, children can jump anywhere naked. It doesn't mean anything to them, even amongst strangers. Even before guests to come to your home. However, the day that child begins to realize what it means to be naked, the child is going to begin to put on clothes. What is even sad about man today is even when we realize that we are naked, we are making clothing that will expose us the more. The parts that we should seek to cover, we want to even expose them all. And how did they seek to solve the problem of nakedness that they had now come to realize? The Bible says they sowed leaves to make an apron. Number one, leaves that have been detached from the trees will soon wither, will dry up, and the nakedness will be further exposed. Secondly, there's no way they could make enough uh, clothing from figs, from leaves that would cover the body. So they were now trying, you now have what is called self-help. Whenever we listen to the voice of Satan and follow that voice, we are going to begin to use self-help to do things. Now, what was the crucial thing here? Was it the, the goodness of the trees, the pleasantness of the fruit? No, that was not it. What was, what was crucial about the instruction of God was do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Whatever, that, whatever it is about that tree, don't eat of it. However, they did not listen to God, but they listened to Satan. Now in verse 8, the Bible says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees 
of the garden. When you are not listening to God, when you are listening to someone else, when you are listening to Satan or listening to self, and then you now hear the voice of God, you are most likely going to go into hiding. Many people would not go even near a church when they have sinned against God, when they have listened to a wrong voice and have lived contrary. Fear comes upon them. The fear of God, not in a good sense, but in a very bad sense, it comes upon them. They avoid, they seek to avoid God at all costs. They can go to a church that would not speak the voice, that would not speak the words of God. They are comfortable there. But when they enter into a church that speaks the word of God, they become antsy. They become, you know, uncomfortable there and want to leave that place. In verse 9, the Bible says, And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Adam was now hiding. It is believed that this was the pattern that God had with Adam. That before now, God would naturally, would, or would ideally come into the garden and have a discourse with Adam and speak with him. But on this occasion, he was nowhere to be found. He was hiding from God because he heard the voice of God. Why? Because he had done what God had told him not to do. Because his wife had been beguiled, had been deceived, had been misled by Satan, the old, that old servant. In verse 10, and he, that is Adam, said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he, that is God, said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Now, I have discovered that when man sins, when man has been beguiled, when man has fallen, he is going to enter into a blame game. He would blame every other person but himself. Adam was not forced to eat of the tree. It was, yes, it is true that the wife gave it to him, but he was not forced to eat of it. It is true that Satan um, misled Eve but she was not forced to eat of it. She actually took it and ate of it and offered to her husband. The husband was not compelled to eat of it. He also took it and ate of it. But when God asked them, not one of them owned up. One of the good things about repentance is that there is always room with God, between a man and God for repentance. When a man has done something that is wrong, to God. He repents. If he turns to God and says, Lord, I have sinned against you because I did what you said I should not do. He is forgiven. But instead of Adam and Eve to come clean and say they had done something wrong, no, they remained, they, they, they remained defiant and blamed someone else. And they remained in sin and passed that sin unto everyone. So yes, Satan can speak to man. And whenever Satan speaks to man, he speaks contrary to the word of God. He might, he might distort it, he might embellish it, he might say whatever he wants to say, but it is always the negative to the word of God. Now I'm going to speak, uh, pick the second classical instance of Satan speaking to man. And in this instance, we are looking at the second Adam the Lord Jesus Christ. The first Adam failed woefully, 
because he fell to Satan's antics. Now, the second Adam was also spoken to. And let us look at what happened when Satan spoke to the second Adam. Matthew chapter 4. And I'm going to read from verse 1 and read through to verse 11. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. It is important to note that it was the Spirit of God that led the Lord Jesus Christ to be tempted. Why? They were, they were so sure that it was going to pass. They were confident that he would pass. They did not lead him to be tempted to fall. They led him to be tempted so that he could destroy Satan. He could put Satan at bay. Now, when God, the Bible makes it clear, it says, no one should say when he is being led, when he's being tempted, that God is leading him to temptation. No, God never leads us to be tempted, the kind of temptation that will make us fall. God can lead us to a place where we will stand on, uh, by faith and stand firm in God and discomfiture everything that Satan wants to bring our way. It's important to know that. So please, don't say that the Spirit of God is leading me into temptation. No, he can lead you to be tempted, to be examined, to be proven because you will disprove Satan's argument because you will overcome Satan. And he does that when he's sure that you are going to be able to overcome. So whenever temptation comes, whenever the Lord places you in a place where temptation comes, it is because you can overcome it. And my prayer is that henceforth you will be able to overcome it. But let's further look, let's now look at what transpired between the Lord Jesus and Satan when he faced his trial or his temptation. In verse 2 of Matthew chapter 4 it says, And when he, that is Jesus, had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter, that's Satan, came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now we'll see the approach of Satan. If you are the Son of God, I want you to command that these stones be made bread. First and foremost, you don't need to prove to Satan who you are. You are a child of God, there's no question about that. So why are you trying to prove anything to Satan? There's nothing to prove. Because that's who you are. There was nothing for the Lord Jesus to prove because he already knew he's the son of God. So what is he going to prove? By turning stone to, 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 to bread? For what purpose? And, and you know that when a man has fasted that long, he, does not, he should not immediately dive into food. He could even kill himself. So Satan knew what he was doing. He was trying to mislead him to the place where he would do something and then there would be another temptation to say to him, go ahead now and eat what you have turned into bread because after all you are hungry and it is something that you that you turn let us prove that you believe that this stone you have done is bread he could come by any means but look at the lord's response his response was not to prove anything to satan his response was to respond with the word of god in verse 4 it says but he answered and said it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of god what a fantastic way to defeat that. He says, we, we live, we have life when we live by every word that God speaks, not by words spoken by any other person. So he was clear that his focus was on the word of God. Now, Satan picks on that in verse 5. Then the, angel, the, then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth, setteth him rather on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, 
for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. In verse 7, Jesus said unto him, It is written again. You see, Satan realizing that, ah, this one is uh, not a simple fellow. This one knows the word of God. And this one is quoting scriptures. So what does he do? He quotes scripture. And he's quoting it out of, out of context, actually. And Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. There is no need. You go and set me on a high place and say, Jump. Why should I jump? What is the purpose of jumping? To prove what? That angels will, 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 lift, will, will take hold, will take charge of me and not allow my foot to, 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 to be dashed on a stone or not allow my body to crash. Why do I do that? The Lord Jesus says, that is tempting God. And God says, don't tempt me. And so he quotes the scripture to defeat that argument. We must understand some things that Satan quotes scriptures. The problem with quotation is that he will quote it out of context. He will, he will quote that scripture and bring it in a place where it has no basis. So you must understand what the word of God is. That is why there must be a relationship between you and God for you to appreciate or understand or receive the word of God or know that it is God speaking. Because the character of the voice of God is different from the character of the voice of Satan, even though it is the word of God that has been quoted. Satan always misquotes the word of God. Satan always seeks to tempt us using the word of God. But God will never tempt us. James makes that clear to us. In James chapter 1, the Bible makes it clear that God does not tempt. He is not tempted and he will not tempt anyone with, 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 into, into, into to, 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 to sin. God does not do that. God cannot be tempted to sin and so God does not tempt anybody to sin. He can arrange for you to be, to be, to be tempted by Satan but not for you to sin. However, that you will, you will stand firm on the word of God and live for God as the Lord Jesus Christ had done here. The Lord Jesus Christ was able to separate, to distinguish the matter of what God wanted him to do from what Satan was asking him to do. When Satan asks you to do something that God, but you know that God would not want you to do, what you must do is not to give heed to what Satan is asking you to do, but rather to make sure that you are paying heed to what God has spoken to you. Now, in verse 8, the third time he came to the Lord Jesus, again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, again, he, he, he takes him to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glories of them. And says to him, I'm going to give you these things if you will only bow down and worship me. Now, I want us to note certain things. That the glories of this world it's not what God wants to give to us. The kingdoms of this world is not what God wants to give to us. The Bible makes it clear in Luke, I think it's chapter 12. It says, it, it says the, the, the little children or so, it is of the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom, the kingdom of God. That's what God wants to give you. Not the kingdoms of this world, not the positions or the high offices of this world. That is why it is strange to find children of God spending hours at night vigils praying for 
the, the glories of this world, praying for the things of the kingdoms of this world, rather than the kingdom of God, which is what even the Bible says that it pleases God to give us the kingdom. These are things we ought to be seeking, the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, at least verse 3 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things that other people are struggling after shall be added unto you. God is going to give them to you. Anyway, the point here is that the Lord Jesus succeeded over Satan. That is, he overcame Satan's temptation here. Why? Because he understood what the word of God says. God was not missing words when he said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thou serve. He didn't say, well, worship God, and you can do a little bit of worship on the side, provided they are worshiping God. No, he was saying, and him only shall thou serve. He was specific. While Satan was trying to generalize things, and say, well, you can worship me, I will give you these things, he knew who would give him. He was not even talking about the things that he wanted. He said specifically, God says we should worship him and him alone. We must understand this. The first Adam failed because he listened to the voice of Satan. The second Adam succeeded because by and large he refused to listen to the voice of Satan but sought to do the will of God. I close with verse 11 now. Uh, this particular segment, verse 11 says, Then the devil leaveth him and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. When we resist Satan by not paying heed to his voice, he will flee and will be ministered to by the angels, the ministering angels of God. Will be marvelously helped, will be comforted, will be encouraged further to keep at it when we refuse to heed the voice of Satan. So yes, it is possible for Satan to speak to man. And when he speaks, he deceives, he beguiles, he misleads, he leads us away from God. And what manifests in us is fear, hiding from God, seeking to do things on our own, what is called self-help, blaming others, and so on and so forth. But when it is the word of God that we are following after, God sends forth his ministering angels to help us to exhort us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to help us on the way. I want to conclude this introduction by letting us know that there are people who are hearing voices directing them to do one thing or another and then they proceed to do those things without first verifying who is speaking to them. I heard the story of a young man. I think it was, this was in a zoo, in the, in the, I think University of Ibadan. Uh, that must have been in the 80s or so. This young man, whether he was fasting or said, he said he heard a voice or so that, and he wants to prove to people that he is a child of God. And he proceeded to climb over the, um, the enclosure of the lions and climbed into it and stood there. And for a while, it seemed like he was okay until one of the lions got up and charged after him. I, I was told that he tried to get, get back onto the, onto the fence, but it was too late. That was how the lion tore him to shreds and he died. That was the voice of Satan. Misleading him. Just like he tried to mislead the Lord Jesus by saying, go and jump. The angels of God will guard you. 
He told him, go and enter into the lion's den. After all, you are a child of God. The way that Daniel was shielded from the lions, so will you be shielded from the lions. In fact, he called himself Daniel before he entered that, that, the, 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 the lion's enclosure. He failed to realize that Daniel did not walk in of his own volition into the lion's den. Daniel was thrown there by the king because of a law which he had contradicted because he worshipped God and God alone. And so while he was there, lions could not eat him. The angels of God had come to shut the mouth of the lions and had comforted Daniel. Daniel said that much when he came out of the lion's den. So please, my brothers and sisters, do not allow hearing just any voice and going to do what that voice is telling you to do. There are so many people today who have been deceived, been misled, and that must stop hitherto. What was it that made, like I said earlier, that made the baby, the newly born baby, whose eyes have not been opened, to be able to positively identify the mother, the father, and its siblings, was the fellowship, the proximity of that child with the mother in the womb, and of these other people, his siblings, and father with the mother. So he was able to respond to them because these are voices he was hearing from the womb. In the same way, when you and I have become born again, we are to tune our ears, our frequency to only one voice, the voice of God. And we must ensure that we are not just taken, you know, by any, just, just being misled by any voice. Somebody just comes and says something that tinkles the air and we say, yes, this is God speaking to me. In 1 John chapter 4, I'm about to round up now. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to you and I. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You won't believe what this scripture is saying to you and I. This scripture is saying to you and I that we are not to believe every spirit that is speaking to you and I because it is a spirit that is speaking through man. The spirit of self, the spirit of Satan, or the spirit of God. He says, but try the spirits. Prove them, test them, whether they are of God. Do you know that the Holy Spirit desires that we test his voice when he speaks? Through the scriptures. Number one, do they agree with the scriptures? Number two, do they agree with the context of scripture? Do they agree with the context of what you are going through? Do, are, 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 the, are these words bringing us to God or leading us away from God? Test every spirit. Prove every spirit. Why? He says, because many, I've said this before, the opposite of many is few. Where you hear many, it means there are only few of the others. So many false prophets mean only few true prophets. So he says, for many false prophets are gone out into the world. There are many false prophets going out into the world, speaking the words of Satan, speaking the words that come from the pits of hell and misleading many people into swallowing those same words. The Bible says we should test every spirit. We should test every spirit, including the spirit of God. 
Now, if anyone comes to you and says, look, I am speaking to you by the power of God, by the word of God. God himself spoke to me. You don't need to go and be cross-checking what I have said because God spoke to me. You have found a man who is speaking from Satan. Don't listen to him because the spirit of God himself said, prove every spirit, including when he speaks. Because number one, the spirit of God cannot contradict himself. He cannot contradict the written word. That is the very basis on which we check the word of God. Secondly, when you are familiar, when you have relationship with the Spirit of God, you would know through that fellowship, through that relationship with the Spirit of God, that this is not the voice of God. You would know that. So it is crucial that the believer remains in fellowship with God through his Spirit. And that as you have this fellowship, you will know the voice of God. We cannot be making mistakes on issues like this. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, from verse 1 to, uh, I'll, I'll stop somewhere, from verse 1 say to verse 4. So it says, now the Spirit, that is the Spirit of God, speaketh expressly that in the latter times, and we are in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Some shall depart from the faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. People are departing from the faith, left, right, and center today. Why? Because they are giving heed. They are listening to and doing what they are being told by spirits that are seducing them away from God and unto them. And doctrines or teachings of devils. Many people have been misled. Some people, well, that's what the Bible says, say some will depart. They shall surely depart from the faith because they're heading to this. Now, these spirits are, what are they doing? It says in verse 2, it says, speaking lies in hypocrisy. A hypocritical person is someone who's double-faced. He's one thing today, he's another thing tomorrow. And he does not intend to be anyone. He does not intend to be anything good. But he can claim to be a Christian, even though he doesn't intend to be a Christian. He claims to be one and seeks to behave like one. Whereas he is not a Christian in any shape or form. And so he's speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. When something has been seared with hot iron, no matter how much you try to, you know, scratch that, especially a human skin, it is not going to respond because the, the, the nerves around that place is dead to anything. So there is not, there's nothing that can prick him to say what I'm doing is wrong. So you find so many false prophets today in the land speaking things and you're wondering, and these people moved, don't they have the conscience to know what they're saying is wrong? No, they just say it. Today we are hearing a, a gospel that is a gospel that is tied to money. And the people who are preaching this thing with all good intentions. However, I wonder sometimes, does the word of God, does the voice of God not speak to them? If care is not taken, many of these people, they have had their consciences seared with a hot eye. Some people are, are preaching humanism, a doctrine of humanism that has nothing to do with the word of God. They are telling you to look good so that a man can marry you. A man should marry you because God has spoken to the man to marry you. A man should not marry you because of how you look. That is not, of course, to say that you will not dress uh, in an appropriate manner. But you cannot be dressing seductively because you want to lure a man. If you have to lure a man, then the voice that told you to dress that way should, would, would definitely not have been God. 
God would speak to the heart of a man to continue. Now in verse 3 it says, Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Please note that celibacy is not a doctrine, is not a command of God. In fact, celibacy is a matter of choice. It cannot be a doctrine. Now, if a person has vowed, made a vow of celibacy, and he finds that his body is moving, the Bible actually teaches that he should break that vow and go and marry. There is better to marry than to burn. That's what the Bible says. Now, that statement of better to marry than to burn is actually referring to those who are celibate, who have gone to, to make vows of celibacy. It does not mean that if a man is burning, he should then marry. In fact, that's the wrongest reason to get married. And, and then it talks about forbidding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now, this is where we have all manner of things. Some people say, oh, why should we eat this? Why should not eat this? And so on and so forth. The Bible teaches that you should go ahead and eat whatever is placed before you. Pray over it and eat it. It is sanctified as we pray over it. Now, however, for the sake of a weak brother, there are some things that we don't eat. So the word of God is, how do I put it? The word of God has layers, as it were, of on the same subject. And you must be thorough on the subject before you pick one, which is what Satan seeks to do. He will pick only one verse and ignore every other part or portion of the scriptures that gives a holistic view on the particular subject matter. So you've discovered that, you would realize that as I'm speaking on these things, I'm actually making references to other portions of, of, of scripture that should be able to support, ameliorate, or supplement and complement what is being spoken of here. We just don't pick one verse, hook, line, and sinker, and dismiss every other verse. No, we must pick that one verse in the light of the, the, the scriptures as, as a whole and use that and say, now this is what the word of God is saying. For example, in 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, and I'm just going to read uh, a few verses here, just to let you see the identity of false prophets. It says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there were, as there shall be false teachers among you, talking of today, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. Privately, they will, there's a way they, they have a way of sneaking these doctrines in. And before you know what's happening, everybody is swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. Even denying the Lord that brought, that bought them. Indeed, in, in we didn't finish reading First uh, John uh, chapter 4, verse 1. We read it, but we didn't read the other things. Where it says that when a spirit is speaking, this is how to test. Have they said that Jesus has come in the flesh? If a spirit says that Jesus has not come in the flesh, please discountenance, that's the false spirit. Because the spirit of God would always tell you that the Lord Jesus has come in the flesh and that he has died and he has risen again and has ascended to heaven. Now, some would come and say to you that indeed Jesus has died, but that the, the, the resurrection was not really, he did not really die, that kind of death. If the death was, a, was, was just merely physical, they come up with all kinds of connotations that would suggest that they didn't die. The truth of the matter is that the Lord Jesus died physically. 
He died spiritually also because he was separated from the Father and the Bible says that he descended into hell before he ascended again from there. So be careful as people are speaking. That's why sometimes you don't pick the words of a man who climbed and sinker. You also need to know him. When God is speaking through his agents, God does not expect you to, to listen to the voice of that agent, hook, line, and sinker, if you, do, if you have not had interactions with that agent. You must know who that person is. You must understand that this fellow is living according to the word of God and not just coming to speak the word of God to you. And then he says, and bring upon themselves swift, swift destruction. In verse 2 he says, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. Many people are going to follow them by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. They are going to speak evil concerning the word of God. And we see that not just as not, not only are people speaking evil of, 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 of God, um, the word of God, they are also speaking evil of God by the way they are even conducting themselves. It's as though God wants them to suffer. Even though God might bring situations where they suffer, he expects them to glorify him. He expects them to thank him. The Bible says, in all things give thanks. For all things give thanks. For this is the will of God for you. So we are to be given thanks. Even when we are facing the most serious and difficult of situations. That's what the word of God says. We are not to go through those times as though, oh, this is so hard. God is just, what kind of God are we asking? Is he asking, what kind of God are we serving? Him? That is bringing this kind of difficult things. Many people are being misled away from truth and they are speaking against the truth. In verse 3 it says, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. You can see they are using covetousness in our hearts. When they preach about this gospel of money, they are using covetousness to talk about how you should give so that you can get more. God does not tell you to give so that you can get more just for the sake of getting. The matter, the matter of money is for distribution. It is not for accumulation. So when God is giving you things, it is so that you would distribute it. But many are making merchandise of many, of many other people whose judgments now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. These people will be judged. But should you follow them in that judgment? Absolutely not. In 1 John, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm trying to close, but th these issues are very crucial. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm just going to read a few things. In verse 6, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. It didn't say godliness with covetousness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, as verse 7, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Can we find contentment, please, brothers and sisters? And live out this covetous lifestyle of wanting to get something bigger than the next person. Seeking things, seeking money over and over again just for the sake of it. Look at verse 9. It says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Because of the love of money, many people are falling into temptation. I heard once of a fellow who stole money from his office so that he can give it to his church because in his church, people who give money to the church are recognized. That is, that, look, look, that man's faith is being damaged. He's falling into temptation and snares. In verse 10 it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. 
The doctrine of the, the, the doctrine or, or the gospel of prosperity that ties itself to having accumulating money for its own sake, accumulating things for its own sake, is from the pit of hell, is not from the word of God. The Bible says, for the love of money, and I've heard many people say, the Bible says the love of money, not money itself. And yet they talk so much about money. You talk a lot about what you love. If you had the love of God in you, you would preach more and more about God and not about money. If you had the love of God in you, you would preach more and more about how people would draw closer to God by avoiding sin and eliminating sinful living and self-living from their lives. But no, people preach about money. It is a sign that they love money. Now, I'm going to skip from verse uh, 10 and jump right to verse 17. Of the same first Timothy chapter 6, it says, Charge them that are rich in this world. Now, these are people who already have that they be not high minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Do not put your trust in money, money will fail you. Put your trust in God. Make sure that God is the one that you are working with. Make sure that God is the one that you are holding to. Make sure that God is the one you are depending on, not your money. He says that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute or give or share, willing to communicate is the same thing, being able to distribute. So God has called us not to accumulate, but to distribute. So even if you have money, it is not for you to keep and store. It is for you to share with those who have needs, to store up good works for yourself. The money is, is, as it were, a spiritual gift that has been given to you by God to be able to do good works unto yourself. In verse 19 it says, Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. It's not as if money will give you, giving out money will give you eternal life. But no, when, it, when the time for uh, distribution of gifts come in heaven, giving rewards, you will be adequately rewarded for your good deeds based on what God has given to you. Now, I want to go back to verse 11 of 1 Timothy 6 and use that to charge us. It says, but thou, O man of God, is speaking to every single person who is a child of God. Flee these things. Flee what? Money. Flee temptation of money. Flee covetousness. Flee accumulation. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called. This is your calling. To ensure that you have eternal life. That you will live eternally with God. And has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Keep professing that good profession before many witnesses. That's what the Lord is saying to you and I. In two weeks time which will be the 7th of March, I believe that will be the date, by the grace of God, we shall be speaking more on this matter. However, as the newly born that I mentioned earlier identifies her parents because of his or her relationship with them, so must a child of God be able to identify the voice of God by reason of personal relationship through fellowship with God. We cannot be having fellowship with other people and not with God and expect to be able to identify the voice of God. We cannot be having fellowship constantly with the television 
and with soap operas on television and be able to identify the voice of God. No, you will only be able to identify the voice of the soap opera uh, cast. You will find yourself living according to how the soap opera is going on. I remember when we were kids and we'd watch um, those days when we were young, we, we had the cowboy movies and um, cowboy films. And soon after we finished watching it in the evenings, it was evening time those days, uh, before it gets dark, we all go out, young boys, uh, we, we pick up sticks and begin to shoot. Boom, 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 boom. You are dead, you are dead. Fall down, fall down and die and things like that. Why? Because of what we watch on TV. In the same way, when you, when you have removed the voice of God and rather you are spending time on the, on the television and watching soap operas, you are going to begin to find yourself living that way. You are going to find yourself taking up your moral compass from television rather than from the word of God. But when you have constant fellowship with God, you would know what is right and what is wrong. You would even know that this thing, you would understand what sin really is. That sin is an offense against God. Not against your pastor, not against a doctrine or against church, but against God. So we, we ought to spend more time in fellowship and relationship with God so that we are able to get to the place where Satan will actually flee from us. And we, likewise, when he's speaking to us, we will flee from him, we will avoid being there because we will now know that the, this is the voice of a stranger. This is not the voice of the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is not, this, the, this one who is speaking is not the voice of, his, of my shepherd. This is someone else masquerading himself as my shepherd. And so we'll flee from him, we'll avoid his words, avoid every doctrine that he's speaking. In fact, we'll, we'll tune him off and refuse to listen to him. Beloved, when we are not familiar with God, we are going to be familiar with Satan. We are going to be familiar with the voice of Satan. It is not sufficient for you to just go to church. You must know the voice of God. It is important that you know the voice of God. I, and, I'm, and I'm going to close by asking us to pray these verses of scripture. Philippians chapter 3 from verse 7 through to verse 10. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. And let me read verse 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Like Paul. Let us also pray that prayer. Lord, that I may know you. Lord, that I, that I may be intimate with you. Not, not just intimate with the good, but also with the sufferings. Also with everything, every aspect of you. I want to know you more. I want to know your will more. I want to be able to do what you want me to do. I want to be able, Almighty and everlasting God, to know your voice. So that when anyone is speaking to me other than you, I would instantly know that this is not my, this is not the voice of my father. This is not the voice of my God. This is the voice of someone else. Thank you. Let, let's, let's go ahead and just pray to God and let's uh, uh, thank the Lord for everything. Thank you, beloved. God bless you.